So we are going to be continuing looking at another sign or miracle. These are miracles that are also signs, as John calls them in his gospel. Um, and this is the second one, but it's the third in our series because we changed the order um, last week. Now, some signs are absolutely useless. For example, that one, sign not in use. Um, glad they put a sign up for that one. Beware of pole when reversing. I kind of think the pole might not be there if the sign wasn't. But, um, can you see it? <laughs> this product contains peanuts. It's, um, it's a load of peanuts. <laughs> I'm just explaining for anyone who can't see the screen. Uh, a big picture of a fire saying, caution, fire is hot. Um, I don't know if everybody realized that, but um, there is a helpful sign for that. No right turn, right lane, must turn right. I wonder, <laughs> wonder which of those signs we ought to believe. <laughs> library is closed until opening time. I, I find this quite a lot, actually. I go down there, and the library is indeed closed till opening time. Um, no clue as to when that might be. Caution, water on road during rain. <laughs> These signs really ought to be everywhere, I think. <laughs> This is my favourite. We don't rent pigs. <laughs> how, many how many people have gone up to them asking to rent pigs that they've had to put a sign out, we don't rent pigs? <laughs> Anyone caught exiting through this door will be asked to leave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. But with some signs, you have to look a little bit closer because there is more to it. Also, the bridge is out ahead in tiny writing at the bottom of it. <laughs> Sometimes it pays to look at the sign carefully. <laughs> so we're going to try and do that today. So uh, we are looking at Jesus and his encounter with a royal official. And this is one of the signs. And a good sign is something useful to say, and it does point to something. Um, Jesus' signs are amazing in themselves, but they also point to something. So just to give a bit of background to this one, um, Jesus has just been to Jerusalem for the Passover, um, which is Jer Jerusalem's down here, and he's travelled up the road up here to Sychar, which is where Jacob's well is, and that's still there today if you want to see it. And that's where he met the woman at the well, at Jacob's well, um, and spoke to the Samaritans there. Um, and then he's come up this road here, and this is where he's headed, going back towards home to the Galilee area. I'm going to read this story in bits, because if we read the whole story, if we know the end from the beginning, we look at things in a different way. So I want to just take it in stages so we pick up what it really felt like. So John 4, starting at verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. So it says a prophet has no honor in his own country. The word there that's translated his own country more properly means his own town, his hometown. And that's how it's translated elsewhere, uh, the same word. So really we're talking about Nazareth. And if you look... He's come up this road, and he's kind of bypassed Nazareth, and he's gone to Cana. So he's, Jesus has 
bypass that, but he's still in the general area of his home, home, homeland. Um, and John tells us earlier that what Jesus had done in Jerusalem, not, apart from turning over the tables in the temple, he'd also done lots of miracles there. He doesn't tell us detail, but he tells us um, he's done lots of details. So that's what these people have seen, and they've come home to the Galilee area, and they've kind of followed him. But it does make us think, what kind of welcome was this? He's been welcomed, but it's in his home, homeland, home area. Is this a welcome of people that just like to see a few spectacular things, a bit of entertainment, a few miracles, or are they actually giving him the honour that he deserves? Um, it suggests perhaps they're not giving him the honour from the way it starts there. So it might just be a welcome, not an honourable welcome. Carrying on. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum, you can see, is at the top of Galilee, up here. And this, the distance between Cana and Capernaum is about 20 miles. Um, there's some dispute about which town was Cana, um, but they're very close together, the disputed town. So it's about that far away, and we know where Capernaum was. So this man is a royal official. We don't know if he'd be a Jew or a Gentile. He's obviously working for Herod. And whether he's a Gentile, which would be viewed with disdain, or a Jew working for Herod, he would also be viewed with disdain. So this is somebody who's not going to be, you know, well-liked by the people, by the Galileans. And he'd have been well-off because he's working in the palace. So that's what we know about him. We also know, if he's got a sick son, that he's got problems. And he's got problems that money can't solve. So though he may be well off in his position, and he's probably spent money on doctors and tried to sort things out using his money, he's got to the point where he can do nothing more. And so riches are not the solution to everything. Money is a false idol. It won't give you everything you need. Equally, youth won't help you. Um, you know, sickness and disease affects the young as well as the old. And this is the situation this, uh, this man's son finds himself in. Moving on, it says, When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. So what do we learn about the man from this? Well, he's got some semblance, some, some element of faith. He's got like a beginning, kind of start of faith. He knows something of Jesus. Um, he's been humble enough to go by himself, to go on his own, not to just send somebody, but to go himself to see Jesus, to ask for what he needs. He's traveled quite a long way, about 20 miles um, on foot over you know, rough and dangerous territory. And he's come to Jesus, and he actually says he's begged, not just begged, but he begged him and kept on begging Jesus to come and heal his son, to go to his house. But although he's got a degree of faith, it's just, as I said, it's just the beginnings because he believes Jesus can heal his son or he wouldn't have come, but he thinks Jesus needs to travel to be with his son and he thinks he needs to travel there quickly because if the son dies, it'll be too late. But nevertheless, he has got some faith and he's, you know, if his son is about to die, to actually leave his son shows quite, you know, he's, he's made, a, made a commitment to Jesus there in, in just going to see him. What do we learn about Jesus? Well, clearly, Jesus' reputation as one who's willing and able to heal has gone ahead of him. It's, gone, it's reached Capernaum before Jesus has. What he's been doing in Jerusalem has gone ahead of him, and people have heard about him. So they know that he's willing and able to heal. And so when we are suffering, when we are having difficulties, 
we know that God can use that to bring us closer to Jesus. And in Psalm 119, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. So if we have the right attitude, and if we allow things to bring us closer to Jesus, those things can be used for good. So how's Jesus going to respond to this man and his, his beginning starter faith who's traveled all this way and left his son? Well, Jesus says in verse 48, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Which is perhaps not quite the uh, nice, gentle Jesus we might have uh, expected, who just said, yes, I'll come with you straight away, straight away, yes, I'll come down, I'll come down. Jesus isn't like that at all. He's, he's almost rebuking this man. So this man's come with his level of faith, asking in a desperate situation, and Jesus says, oh, unless you people see signs, you're not going to be convinced. But you notice, although he says it to the man, and I'm sure it is addressed partly to him, he says, unless you people... So he's talking also to this crowd of Galileans that are around him. These people that have seen what he's done in Jerusalem, they've already seen signs and miracles, and they've followed him to Galilee, and yet somehow they've missed the point. They've got a bit hung up on the signs, on the miracles, on the spectacle, on the entertainment. They've not seen what they're pointing to. Because where he's just been in uh, Samaria, he spoke to the woman at the well, and she told the whole town about Jesus, and they came out to see him, and it says many of them believed. And it's not recorded that he did any miracles there. They just believed because of what he said. And these were Samaritans that were looked down upon as this kind of half-breed, didn't quite believe the right things, according to the Jews. But they've responded with faith, and Jesus suggests here that this crowd is just following for signs and is kind of missing the point, missing what the signs are pointing to. And we need to be careful whether we are interested in those things more than Jesus. We need to be sure that we are looking to Jesus, that we're interested in him and who he is as the main reason that we're spending time with him. And we can be blind to what our real needs are. But Jesus does this to, res- to provoke a response and to let the man see what is in his heart. And Jesus does put us through tests or opportunities for faith. But when he does... It's not necessarily to show us about ourselves. It's often to reveal his qualities. That when we're in a time of testing, a time of affliction, a time of difficulty, if we respond in faith and look to him, we'll see what he is like, what he can do, what his character is like. We get to know him more as a result. So do we just not want entertainment or would we want to know Jesus? Are we looking beyond the sign? Verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. So he's kept on. He's kept asking Jesus. He's kept looking to him. He's not been stopped by that seeming rebuke of Jesus. He's kept on asking him. He's kept on looking to him. And, of course, Jesus tells the story of a widow who kept asking for what she needed of an unjust judge. How much more will God give to those who keep asking him? So here we've seen him move from a beginning faith to a persistent faith. Jesus is his only option. He keeps on at Jesus. Um, so are we, as, are we like that? Do we keep asking Jesus? Or do we ask him once, and then if we don't get what we want straight away, 
give up. Because um, it more, it's more about relationship. You know, if, if, um, if I said to Katrina, I'd really like such and such a thing for my birthday, and she just flat refuses, and I then go out and buy it myself, there'd be something a bit wrong there, wouldn't there? Because the thing itself isn't the point. There's something wrong in our relationship. If I've asked for something, and in general, Katrina would want to give me things that I might like, but if she said no, instead of just ignoring her and then going somewhere else to get what I want, <laughs> I'd be thinking, what's gone on between us? What's, what's, why has she said no? Have I done something wrong? Have I asked for the wrong thing? Has she got to me something better? You know, there's all sorts of reasons why she might have said no. But if I just break off the relationship at that point and just go off and get the thing, it says I'm interested in the thing. I'm not interested in Katrina. So in the same way, if we come to Jesus, ask for something, and don't get it straight away, are we not more concerned with the thing than with our relationship with Jesus? If it's taken the right way, we know that suffering and difficulties lead to perseverance, and that leads to character, and that leads to hope. So let's be persevering, let's be persistent in looking to Jesus for the things that we need and not be tempted to look to get them elsewhere in, by illegitimate means. Verse 50, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. Literally, that is, go, your son lives. I think the translators are trying to get across the idea that it means he doesn't just live today and he's going to die tomorrow, but he's, you know, he's going on living. But it says, go, your son lives. So that's perhaps a bit of a blow as well. This man's come asking Jesus to go to his house. Jesus hasn't said, yes, I'll go with you. He hasn't gone to his house. He hasn't prayed for his son. He hasn't laid hands on his son. He's not said any magic words. He's not done anything. He's not even prayed remotely for his son. He's, he's got absolutely nothing from Jesus. He's gone all this way with his dying son, and he's got nothing from Jesus apart from go away. And one three-word statement, your son lives. So what's he doing? He's denying this crowd another miracle, another spectacle, another thing they can see and yet miss the point. But he's also doing something more than that. He's probably making them think, who on earth is this bloke? Who is he to declare such a thing? <laughs> is he crazy? Or what? So how would you respond in that situation, I wonder? Well, the man responded, saying, it says the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Even though it seemed strange, it wasn't what he was expecting, it was beyond what he believed. Somehow, something in what Jesus said, or the way he said it, or who he was, the man took him at his word and departed. He believed without seeing. He obeyed without questioning. So we see his faith has gone another level again. It's gone from being beginning to persistent. It's now it's gone from being persistent to being trusting and obedient and active, you know, put into practice. Jesus says something, and he's accepted it, taken it as read. And, of course, speaking things with authority makes us think back to the beginning of John, where John says, talking about Jesus as the word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So Jesus is integral to the beginning of everything. Everything was done through him. So what was done? Go back to Genesis, right at the beginning. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, and there was, and God said, and there was, and God said, and there was. And it goes on and on. Just God saying it means it happens. So Jesus is here linking back. He is just declaring something, and by declaring it, it is so. And that is the essence of prophecy, really, speaking something as God's truth and will, and it is so. So Jesus is making these people sit up and think, who is this? He speaks like God. Who could say this apart from God or a crazy person? Jesus speaks as one with authority. Um, later in John, Jesus is quoted as saying, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Jesus' words are life. Do we take Jesus at his word, like this man did? While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. So the man meets his servants the next day. So that tells us the distance that's being travelled, that they've taken that time to meet up with each other. So what's happened? Why have these men come? Well, clearly, something obvious has happened. Something dramatic, something instant. The boy must have got up. The fever's left him. He's obviously in his right mind. Everything is fine. He's moving normally. It's very clear that he's been completely healed. And so they have gone off to tell their master, travelled to, to, to Cana, to tell their master what has happened. Something very clearly happened. It was obvious. It moves on. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So this didn't happen like some kind of medication, that it starts a process that then happens in this case, it was instant. Jesus said it. It happened. So this man has now gone from having an active faith to having a confirmed faith. He's acted in faith. He's stepped out. He's done what Jesus says, even though it doesn't make any sense. Or he's accepted what Jesus has said as being true. It doesn't make sense. And it's been confirmed. So we're not talking about blind faith here. We're not talking about pretending something is happening when it, when it isn't. He has stepped out in faith. He's put it into practice. Jesus has done something miraculous. And it's, so it's been confirmed that his faith wasn't in vain. He was right to put his trust in Jesus. So do we do that? Do we take our faith? Do we put it into action? And do we see Jesus confirming it? It goes on. So he and his whole household believed. So it's gone a stage further now. It's not just been put into practice and been confirmed. He's now witnessing to it because his whole household has believed as a result of what's happened. They've, gone, they've, they've seen an amazing sign. The sign is amazing, and it, they're obviously very grateful for the sign, but they've done, made the key difference, the key step of going beyond the sign, seeing what it was pointing to and who it was pointing to. So it's become a witnessing faith. So again, as we do this, are we then witnessing to what Jesus has done in our lives? And it's been good. 
over recent weeks to hear people coming up and you know telling us and let's keep doing that as we step out through through the weeks and see Jesus acting let's come up and tell each other and let's build faith and let's bring glory to Jesus name for the things that he's been doing that we've seen him do and just just ends this is the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee so we've looked at one of these signs we've looked well we've looked at three of them now but I wanted to ask what do the signs point to well fortunately John tells us later on in his book as to what the signs are about in chapter 20 verse 30 he says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name that's what the signs are about they demonstrate the kingdoms here that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God that he is God that he is the word made flesh Jesus is powerful and he has authority He's saying that he is God. He was there at the beginning. When he speaks, it happens. When he, what he says is true. How could anybody heal somebody by seemingly doing nothing from 20 miles away unless he was God? So how would you describe your faith today? I don't know. I'm not making any assumptions, but just ask yourself this. Is it, and be honest with yourself, is it, just a, is it a beginning faith? Are you just starting on your journey? And I know some of you are, and it's great to see people that have just come to know Jesus recently and that's amazing are you out there and that's great because you're like this this man today are you moving to it being persistent to being pers- to constantly looking to Jesus for what you need instead of to worthless idols things that won't give you everything and that aren't good for you has it moved to being trusting and obedient and active put into practice has it been confirmed as you've done that and are you then witnessing to it? And are you stuck in that loop, that constant loop? Step out, see Jesus work and confirming it, witness to it, step out a bit further, see Jesus act even more, and your faith grows as you do it. And in fact, that's, you know, that's the only way it will grow. You've got to put it into practice. It's like a muscle. You keep stretching it. And what's stepping out today won't be stepping out tomorrow because you'd have seen Jesus do it already, and you'll be used to that. And, and He'll just nudge you, like with this man. Come to Jesus with whatever, with whatever level of faith you have. And he'll just nudge you. He might, he might knock you back a bit, but it's just to make you stronger. Again, like building a muscle, that resistance. Keep pressing in. Keep pushing and stretch and grow your faith. The man heard the word of the Lord. He accepted the word of the Lord, and he acted on it. And Jesus took him where he was. He was quite happy to take him as he was and just show him that there was more. And even when our prayers aren't answered in the way we expect or instantly, we've still got Jesus. And that's the most important thing. Let's keep, we've got to keep that relationship going because that is more important than the thing because uh, he's probably got something better for us or he's going to answer it in a different way. Um, but I think there are two dangers in looking at these signs. The first which we've already looked at, is looking at the sign and missing what the sign is pointing to. But I think also ignoring the sign is also a danger. Because if people needed signs then, if Jesus said to those people, when he was right there with them, unless you people see signs you won't believe, how much more now in our culture, in our day, in such a godless society with such terrible things going on as we've already talked about today, we could make the mistake of spiritualizing the story and missing out the signs. People do still need signs that point them to Jesus. 
And if Jesus used miracles to point them to him and who he was, and the apostles then did that, they did miracles in Jesus' name in order to point them to Jesus. And then the ordinary followers, if we read in Acts, were also doing miracles in Jesus' name to point people to Jesus. Shouldn't we also be doing this? Shouldn't we also be stepping out into these things? Because Jesus said, you will do these things that I've been doing. And it was particularly miraculous things in context. He didn't just say that. He said, you do greater things as well. And have we taken him at his word when he says that? Have we believed that? Or maybe that's just taking uh, taking things too far. Maybe you think um, it's a bit mad to to think of that today. Well, we're going to watch a video now. um, And this is, just to end with, just five minutes. It's a guy called Robbie Dawkins, who some of you will know of. I've read his books. I've seen videos of him teaching and healing people. And he's talking here about going to Afghanistan during... You can get the video ready. uh, Going to to Afghanistan during um, Ramadan... Um, he's gone there to encourage the believers and to get them to stretch their faith in the most difficult circumstances. Ramadan is the worst time to be a Christian if you're in a Muslim country. Um, So uh, if you can't see the video, don't worry, because it's basically just him talking and telling the story, so you're not missing anything. Just imagine a sort of fat, balding bloke with a a hippie beard. Uh, Sorry, a hipster beard would be more accurate. Um, And uh, you'll get the idea, but it's the story that's the important thing. So we got sound, have we? This one. This is. This is. We were. We were train, doing training during the day, and then we we're taking people out at night. And the the guys were telling me they said they are not going to go out in daylight. I said, well, that's fine for us to you know for the first three nights to go out when it's dark. Now you got to realize too, during Ramadan they're they're not drinking or eating during the day, so most of the Muslim community is sleeping during the day, and so they're awake at night because that's the only time they can drink and eat and do stuff. And so that's that's what they're doing. And so, but at at the same time, they're like, they, he, they kept telling me that people will not go with you in broad daylight. It's too dangerous. It's too, and again, you have to realize this is where ISIS is there, Taliban is there, which is a part of the Al-Qaeda network. You've got the police, you've got the military, everybody there wants to kill Christians, especially during Ramadan, because it means more stuff in paradise. And so they're like, you know, they're like, nobody's going to want to go. And I said, yes, they will. And they're like, no, they won't. They won't do it. So, so I said, the first few nights we'll go, you know, we'll hide behind cars and then and these these pictures are blurred and darkened for a reason it's to protect people but this this man who's just walking past as he's walking past i look at at my friend ramin who was there uh driving and was a part of the training and i said ramin ask jesus to show you something for him and he looks at me and he goes well i you know isn't he supposed to give me something but i said no no ask him and I said, just ask Jesus to give you something. Trust that first thought, feeling, impression, whatever comes after you ask. And he goes, uh, I think he's worried about his daughter. And I said, okay, stop him and ask him if he's worried about his daughter. And so he stops the guy and he says, are you worried about his, your daughter? Now, in, in a Farsi-speaking country, a word you do not want to hear, especially during Ramadan, is the word kofar, because that means infidel. And what happens next is... God only knows. I mean, it could be bullets, it could be attacks, it could be, you know, rocks or whatever, you know, and so you don't want to hear that word. And so when he, when the guy, the the guy's response, when he said, is, are you worried about the daughter? He goes, how do you know about my daughter? 
And he, he looks at him and he goes, well, I really don't know about your daughter. He goes, I just, I just was standing here and I asked God to show me something for your daughter. And I said, no. And I could hear what he said, even though it was in Farsi. I said, tell him Jesus showed you something about, your, about his daughter. And he goes, he says Jesus showed us something about your daughter. And, and the guy's like, how do you know this? How do you? And he's getting more angry. And he looks at me. He goes, Robbie, I think he's about to shout Kofair. He goes, I think he's about to shout I said, tell him that his, there's something in his daughter's blood and it's killing her. And he looked at him and he says, he says, Jesus is showing him there's something in your daughter's blood and it's killing her. And he backed up and he goes, my daughter has leukemia, which is cancer in the blood. And he says, how, but again, how do you know about my daughter? How do you know? And he's getting more angry. And he stops. And I said, tell him that before he gets home, he, his daughter is going to be completely healed of leukemia. And he looks at me and he goes, he looks at the guy and he goes, he says, before you get home, your daughter's going to be healed. of And the guy still looks, is getting angry and getting louder. And he's like, I really think he's going to shout. Kofair. I said, tell him to stop and to call his daughter right now. And so he, he's, he opens his phone and he calls his daughter and we hear the screaming on the other end of the line. And he says, you don't understand. My daughter will be dead in a month. You know, she can't even get up and go to the bathroom. We have to bring a pan under her for her to even use the bathroom. She can't get out of bed. You know, the doctor says, you know, weeks to a month before she's dead. And, and I said, I said, call, call your daughter now. And so he calls and he, we're hearing this screaming and, and he, Ramin turns and looks at me and his jaws dropped and he says his daughter, his wife is the one who answered the phone, not his daughter, even though he called his daughter's phone. He says his wife is saying our daughter just jumped out of bed three minutes ago, ran to the bathroom, used the bathroom, came back and is jumping up and down in front of me right now saying it's gone, it's gone, it's all gone. This is Ramin leading him to Christ right now as he's accepting Christ. And now there's a house church meeting in their house. And he has about 11 people from the surrounding you know, homes that they've all led to Christ. So you have to realize so many of the missionaries there have said they will take 14 years before they bring somebody to Christ upon meeting them. They take seven years before they tell them a Christian. And they'll take another seven before they tell, share the gospel. And I told him, I said, I'm going to show you how we can reduce 14 years down to 14 minutes. And they said, how's that? And I said, it's called the book of Acts. It still works today and it still applies today. If we'll live the book of Acts, we can see 14 years reduced down to 14 minutes. And so they were just one by one. Let me go to the next. So who's coming on a mission trip with me to Afghanistan? Anybody? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we don't have to go to Afghanistan to do it, although I kind of would like to. <laughs> you know, when, when God's doing those kind of things, you want to be there, don't you? Um, but he can do them here, you know. Um, that's just one story I picked out, but um, him and people like him see these kinds of things happening in America, in all sorts of other countries. Um, they can happen here, so let's believe what Jesus says. You will do these things that I've been doing, and you will do greater things. But we've got to put it into practice, see it confirmed witness to it and keep that cycle going wherever we are it's just that little bit further we, i'm not saying we should step out and do this if you want to that would be great but let's build our faith by putting it into practice build the muscles and just get our faith to get wider and wider and see what jesus can do because he can do amazing things if if we'll let him because he chooses to do it for us it's him that does it 
he chooses to do it for us. I mean, he won't do it unless, unless we let him, really, unless we want to be part of it with him. <laughs>